Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to a Disney at Work podcast. Pandora Panic, Fantasyland Fear, and Anxiety American Adventure Style. No, this is not a sensational title to a podcast, but rather it is an opportunity to learn from some seldom heard experiences about attractions and uh, park experiences that have been created over the years and the challenges and the courage that it took to create them. Disney at Work is different than our Disney at Play podcast in that we are focused on experiences from the happiest place on earth that you can adapt, understand, and apply back to your own organization and business. I think you're going to really like this podcast because we're going to share three very uh, different sets of stories from three very uh, unique time periods in the theme parks of Disney. Uh, the idea of doing this podcast actually began yesterday when I was at Disney's Animal Kingdom for the day. As I was on the safari, I noticed so much of the so much of the safari is really just foliage and vegetation. But if you kind of remove the grass and you remove the trees, you actually see that there is a lot of structure, a lot of cliffs, a lot of hills, a lot of places, uh, um, uh, streams and uh, ponds, which have been constructed um, for Disney's Animal Kingdom uniquely. If it, the, the whole thing originally was really nothing more than cattle grazing area and some, some orange groves. It was all very flat, as I recall, when I originally saw it. I later saw it under construction as well as they were kicking up dust and putting it. But few people realize, because it looks so natural at Disney's Animal Kingdom, just how much thought, just how much deliberation, just how much effort was really put in to make it look like you were truly on a safari. I also had the experience of closing out the park yesterday evening and uh, the rains had just come in heavy and strong. And it's almost like the whole thing had been washed out. Um, and yet beyond the rains, as things were drying out, you saw this beauty that had been created in Pandora, the world of Avatar. This land is truly amazing and unique and it's, it's just a phenomenal attraction in and of itself. When Disney Imagineer Joe Rohde, who uh, had done Adventurers Club, all of Disney's Animal Kingdom, even Alani out in Hawaii, when he was tasked to actually build the world of Pandora physically in Disney's Animal Kingdom, he had a tall order ahead of him, so tall, that as floating islands, they would have to appear as if they were hanging in midair without any appearance of having structural support. And if that were not enough, the mountains would need to have water flowing down them 24 hours a day. And at night, it would have to all glow as though it were one giant bioluminescent forest. On Pandora's opening day, Bob Iger noted, quote, at Disney, we have a, how did they do that? standard. I can't think of a better example of that than what we have standing in front of us right now. Cameron responded, 
I never thought I'd see the day when the Pandora I imagined could be made physically real, end of quote. After years of designing and building, that dream is finally a reality, but it, it didn't come without gaining the confidence to build on the dream over time. Confidence that came from long, hard work on previous projects. On an episode of the Season Pass podcast, Joe Rohde spoke about the daunting challenge of imagineering Disney's Animal Kingdom originally. Quote, there was a moment after we had received capital authorization to build the park, and I had finally relocated to Florida, and I'm walking around on this giant site, which is already cleared. There was starting to build. I was terrified, just terrified, 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 because I'm thinking, what the heck? What do I know? What do I know? I don't know. I thought it was a good idea. I don't know. I don't know. And you don't know for a long time. And then finally, like a year and a half later, when you finally see it coming up, then I could go, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. I think it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be real cool. But for the longest time, it's just like, because you get whipped up in the enthusiasm for your project. You got to sell it. You got to do it. You got to love your project. But then once you're building it, and it's such a huge site, no one has ever done it before. And it's totally different. And you think, what the heck? So it was really scary for, yeah, six months for sure. For sure. I mean, really stomach achy. And I did not like sleeping. I did. Did I make a horrible mistake? But I don't think so. I really think it's a lovely place and people seem to really love it. Joe goes on to say, I think if you're going to do something that has never been done before, then you don't get to know whether it's going to work or not. That's part of what you have to live with. If it hadn't been done, if it hadn't been done before, then don't lie about it. You don't know if it's going to work. You're going to try it. You're going to do your best, use your best thinking and your best behavior and your best design. But you don't know. It's the future, right? And you don't know. But you have to have courage to at least try it or else we'd all be sitting on a tree branch in Africa. End of quote. <laughs> that same panic came to Joe when he undertook the building, building the world of Pandora. He noted, quote, the terrifying aspect for this thing early on was the fantastic nature of this property. I was writing these memos. You guys are crazy. This is crazy. How are you going to do this? How are you going to make gigantic mountains like they're floating? How are you going to have principal characters that are 12 feet tall? How are you going to have all these organic, gigantic plants that glow? How are you going to even, even going to do any of this stuff? It's a fantastic property, but you're going to have to build it. John and Lightstorm and James Cameron, also engineers, they understand how physical things get built. So when we would approach these challenges, we both were coming at it from 
the sense that there's a story thing that we need to accomplish. There's an illusion we need to accomplish. And there's a physical set of things that have to get done to accomplish that, end of quote. That kind of synergy, the kind of synergy that involved James Cameron and his team, that involved Disney Imagineering and their team, that involved Walt Disney World and their operations, that kind of synergy of working together is what creates great experiences for guests at Disney. But believe me, it is not always easy. Have you ever experienced the pressure that builds as a project is coming under completion? That's called pixie dust panic by Imagineers at Disney. If you ever get a chance, buy a copy of Building a Better Mouse by Steve Alcorn and David Green. Great book. It's a story of electronic Imagineers who designed Epcot. This is a riveting tale about how these folks worked to get the attractions up and running for the opening of Epcot. I promise you, after you read this book, you will never look at the American adventure in quite the same way. In my role at, at the Disney Institute, I brought many executives from other businesses behind the scenes to see how this mammoth show continues to cycle hour after hour, day in, day out. It's an amazing sight. There's a there's really this set of, for lack of a better term, train tracks, and everything is actually prepped and readied underneath the audience. And then it comes out one at a time and is hoisted up into position. There's really no floor to the stage. Meanwhile, there's a projector that's way behind the screen because it didn't want to project light onto the characters in the foreground. So you couldn't put it in the front. They had to put it in the back. And so all those projections come from behind and, and illuminate. And it's really, there is, it is mind blowing how much thought and effort was put in to creating, um, uh, to creating that attraction. Um, at any rate, this is a story how they managed to get that happen, to even happen in the first place. It's, it's a great read and I highly recommend it. In the book, they refer to Pixie Dust Panic. This is when people are being stretched to work 20 hour days with no time off. Have you been there? Have you had one of those projects where you it just you 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 barely set your head down on your pillow and you have to get back up or sometimes you don't even get back home. You're working late nights to go into early mornings and it all just kind of runs together. This is when you start to see um, well, <laughs> you see the worst in people and sometimes you see amazing courage in people too. But this is when personalities change and sometimes tempers flare while the, the clock counts down. People, people walk out and others get fired on the spot. But despite it, the work gets completed. Here's just one way pixie dust manifests itself uh, during this project. Quote, in the course of troubleshooting several things in the pit today, the pit being where these animatronic characters were all staged in order to come up from below, uh, in the course of troubleshooting several things in the pit today, I get the feeling that everybody's hanging over our shoulders like the vultures. 
They want to know what's going on, but every time we pass along a little bit of information, they latch on to it and run around telling everybody, even if they don't understand it. If they would just leave us alone so we could do some serious troubleshooting, we could come up with some solutions. They're well-intentioned, but counterproductive. We probably did a grand total of 30 minutes of troubleshooting spread out over an entire day of trying to explain to people what we were, what we were doing. End of quote. Again, that's just a taste of what this team endured. But you get the picture. In fact, you've probably experienced it in your own career, in your own business. What do you do when people get into pixie dust panic? Better yet, how do you keep people from getting there in the first place? And next time you're at Epcot, look a little differently at what it took to create a show like The American Adventure. You'll start to see that behind every golden dream is one nightmare of a deadline. Building an attraction is not easy. Um, and building an attraction with people uh, looking over your shoulder, well, that's like if you've been to Disneyland to Snow White's Scary Adventures, which right now, by the way, is being rehabbed. This is the one thing I'm very excited to see when Disneyland eventually reopens and when they finally redo, they've redone Alice and they've redone Peter Pan. And I'm really excited to see what they can redo with Snow White here. But if you remember up in the tower is the queen and every few minutes the curtains open up and, and you see the queen peering down at Snow White from her castle tower. You know, it's just hard to whistle while you work when managers are staring down at you, looking at every move. Such was the case for Aero Development. Most people don't know who Aero Development was, but let me just tell you, the rides and attractions you enjoy today were made a reality because Aero Development, which was a third-party contractor Disney hired, helped create some of the first attraction vehicles built for Magic Kingdom. Ships flying over Neverland, Skyway Buckets, Flying Dumbos, Doom Buggies, Spinning Teacups, Cars Veering Nowhere in Particular, um, Cars on the Speedway. These were just a small part of what Arrow created for the Magic Kingdom. Included in all this were the original minecarts slated for Snow White's Adventures. But as work progressed on building all of these rides and attractions, corporate started sending people out, to, uh, from out of California to look over everything and to make sure it was all going smoothly. For Arrow, these people didn't facilitate their success. They simply stood in the way of getting the job done by standing around asking questions about the schedule, about the budget, and so forth. It came to a point that was difficult for anyone to do his or her work with any kind of hi-ho, it's off to work we go. And it wasn't like Arrow was some new kid on the block, by the way. Arrow had worked personally with Walt Disney to create many of these same rides and attractions when Disneyland originally opened. You see the Matterhorn, um, for instance, at Disneyland. Arrow helped pioneer the first bobsleds ever to roll down of the first steel roller coaster that had ever been, um, uh, ever been built. 
Um, fortunately, there was one person who would be able to get Arrow the help they needed. That man was Joe Fowler, who after 35 years as an admiral for the U.S. Navy, turned his efforts to building Disneyland. He was a favorite of Walt's largely because of his quote-unquote can-do attitude. Joe and Errol had worked together for many years, and now Errol was on site at Walt Disney World and over much of that massive construction project. Joe trusted Errol to get the job done. They'd, he'd seen them perform again and again and again, doing really hard things. So when people from Burbank and Anaheim came over and started giving Arrow trouble, they would just call Joe and say, Joe, can you get these guys off of our back? And five minutes later, they were gone. Fowler would send those middlemen to some other end of the park or property because he knew, um, because he knew that his best chance for getting all the attractions open by October 1st of 1971 was to let Arrow have the freedom and the space they needed to get um, the job accomplished. This kind of problem occurs all the time, not just on construction sites, but throughout every variety of business setting. What you have to have is the support to make it easier for you to get the job done. What you have to have is the synergy to be able to work effectively with others, like Joe Rohde was able to with Lightstorm and with, um, uh, with the folks of Avatar. You have to have these kinds of relationships in order to be successful in your business. Otherwise, what you end up with is Pandora Panic, Fantasyland Fear, and Anxiety, American Adventure Style. Now, with every Disney at Work podcast, we offer you free souvenirs for you and your organization. Those souvenirs come in the form of ideas, takeaways, thoughts that you might be able to apply back to your organization. Consider the following opportunities as they relate to you. When we think about these three stories in Pandora and the American Adventure and, and building Fantasyland at Magic Kingdom, ask yourself, what is the ideal synergy or support that you need in order to get the job done? How are we avoiding the impression of looking over someone's shoulder? How can we be better at building trusting, collaborative relationships with others? How can we make it easier for others to do business with us? How will giving people greater space and freedom to do their job provide assurance that the job will get done? And how do we balance freedom and accountability? Those are just some of the ideas, some of the takeaways, some of the souvenirs that you could take home with you from these three stories. Now, if you like these kinds of tales, these kinds of relatable experiences back to your organization or even to your, your own personal life, can I suggest a few other podcasts uh, from Disney at Work, such as Buena Vista Street, Stories of Failure and Triumph at Disney California Adventure. You will be surprised at some of the stories that lie behind some of the symbols you see in the center of the park. We also have a short chat with Josh Diomaro, the new head of Walt Disney Parks and Attractions, 
It's called The Right Guy for the Worst Time, meaning the panic, pandemic. And then also we talked about the American adventure and this experience of actually building the attraction. Well, the story that's in the attraction also has great lessons in leadership. So I suggest considering any of those podcasts and more. All of them have notes page. You could check out really quick and then go on to the podcast. May I also suggest that if you're wanting more insights like this, not just from one leader, but from nearly 100 leaders that have defined the Walt Disney Company over the years, consider my book, Disney Leadership and You. From Walt Disney to Imagineers to animators and performers, the company's success has been made real by the labor and leadership of not just the CEO, but of so many people. Learn the lessons of leadership from those people as you read. Any rate, that's been our Disney at Work podcast today. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you for being a part. We hope you have a great experience, a great week where we got more podcasts to come. So make sure you subscribe to us. Make sure that uh, you get notifications when we have new podcasts and new posts in play. Always check out our notes page at both DisneyAtWork.com and DisneyAtPlay.com. And finally, in the words of Sinbad's Storybook Voyage, episode 37, always remember, as Alan Menken wrote in his beautiful lyrics, follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you real soon.